Thank you, brother. Well, praise the Lord. I'm excited to be here. I remember a couple of years ago uh, when uh, McMurtry's, he and his dad started talking about what God was doing over here. And uh, I'm excited that you asked me to come, brother, and see just what God hath done in these last couple of years. What a blessing it is uh, to bring a good Bible-believing church to your town. You're blessed, you know that? And so we'll be expounding on that part of it a little more during the morning service about how God brings uh, a good Bible preacher to your town and what a blessing it is. But uh, I am, uh, you know, when you first get up in a church, you're sizing me up and I'm sizing you up. (laughs) Amen. We're checking each other out. And uh, I'm just an old country boy from uh, born in Madison County in North Carolina, and it's as country as cornbread and buttermilk, and uh, just as country as it is out here. All y'all got uh, soybeans and corn. We had backer, <laughs> and uh, that's how we made our living when I was growing up. We raised tobacco and, and took it to market every December and sold it. That was uh, that was all we saw about two hundred and fifty to three hundred and fifty dollars every year, and that's all the money we saw in a year's time. We grew what we ate, and uh, you know we had we killed Thanksgiving Day. We killed a couple of hogs every year to last us through the winter, and uh, we'd kill a beef, and uh, we canned, and uh, all of those good things. So uh, just good country folks like you are. So uh, uh, don't don't. Uh, I found out I. I I had a desire always from the time God called me to preach to uh, to go ahead and, and work my way through and get a doctor's degree. Well, I got my last one when I was 42 years old, and I decided that's enough school. And uh, some people cram four years of school into five. I crammed four years of school into 15. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But uh, I found out when I got it that uh, that doctor hanging on my name done just about as much good as uh, as uh, uh, the curl on that pigtail puts flavor in the ham, so as one speller said. But, uh, you know, I didn't know then exactly what God was doing and making me desire that. But we have ministry in Egypt, and we have since 1994 now. And I would have never been able to minister in Egypt if I hadn't have, hadn't have got that. Uh, that, those degrees. I had to give my resume in that country, Brother McMurtry, of what my education was before I was ever allowed to work in the ministry there. So uh, God is blessed, and God always knows what He's doing. Well, uh, the question this morning is, uh, why do we believe there's only one Bible for the English-speaking people of this world? And I'm not going to, uh, you know, we have we plant churches in Mexico, and uh, there's some people got into great arguments about the Bible in Mexico and, uh, you know, Americans trying to argue about the Spanish Bibles and all that. And I've just stayed out of that because, honestly, uh, in the Spanish world, uh, we've planted uh, 44 churches in Mexico. And in the Spanish world, with what I've learned about Spanish and the Spanish language, uh, they really, the language is so imperfect it's been so contaminated by the fact that uh, Catholicism has uh, ruled in the southern hemisphere 
the language has been uh, really contaminated down there. It's all a mixture of everything. And uh, the English language of the day of the, translation of the translation of this Bible right here, that's the purest language this earth has ever known. Of course, other than the pure Hebrew, of course, that's uh, God's language. And that was a pure language for the Jewish people. But uh, we're not Jews. We're not Hebrews. And uh, we're, we're not Greek. Amen? Amen. So God gave us an English Bible. We have to remember that. We're English-speaking people, and God gave us an English Bible. And the English language, so pure at the time of the translation of this Bible that I have right here on this, this stand right here, the AV 1611, the, the Shakespearean English was really the purest English that has ever, there, there's no way to improve on that English because it is pure. And there are words in this Bible and the way that this Bible is translated in pure English that every word agrees one with another. Every word agrees one with the other. And we must remember that. And so we have all kinds. Since, since 1960, there has been a new translation just about it. There are several new translations come out in this world over these periods of, this period of time here since, since 1960. Every time you turn around, there's another translation. And all it is is money. The name of the game is money. To resell. And res- uh, uh, I, I am blessed now in my older age uh, to... Um, uh, hello, welcome, brother. And uh, we, uh, I'm, I'm blessed in my old days to drive a pretty nice car, and uh, I buy. I, I have bought used Cadillacs for several years, and I find that I can buy a, a five-year-old Cadillac cheaper than I can buy a Ford or a Chevrolet. Honest, and uh, God has blessed me. But but you notice they only make a car for a certain number of years to look like it looks. Why? They want to sell you a new one. Right? Yep. So you'll, get t- you'll look at the new car and you'll get tired of your old car. And you'll go buy a new one. What are they trying to do with Bibles? Same thing. They're trying to market new books. And uh, this one is better understood and better understood. Seems to me that that's very strange because the church overall is getting dumber and dumber about the Bible. Uh, you find... You, you, you run into most people in church and a Jehovah's Witness comes to their house and knock on their door and that, that Jehovah's Witness can just take them and wring them water out of them. Why? Seems like even the Baptists today don't know their Bible. So if all these new Bibles teach you more Bible, how come we're getting dumber? See? And, and so that's, that's just logic. But let's look in 2 Timothy 3.16 this morning. And uh, you say you stopped about a quarter till? Yes, sir. 2 Timothy 3.16. I'm going to lay a little foundation here, and then I'm going to... Now, now I'm, not, I'm not going back to the manuscripts this morning. I don't have time for all of that. Uh, I, when I got saved, I didn't know there was a manuscript. <laughs> I, I didn't know that there was... I didn't know there was more than one Bible when I got saved. I got saved in... In 1956, and I had no idea there was anything but the one that we had in our hand. Never heard of anything else. 
And uh, my grandmother went to the sixth grade. My daddy went to sixth grade. My mother went to the sixth grade. That's as far as they went. But you know what? They sure did know God. And they knew it from this book right here that we're reading uh, that we have this morning. But in 2 Timothy 3.16, the Bible says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Now, 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 this, this, this King James Bible is, is written in a very special way. You know why? The Holy Ghost is the author. And guess what? How do you, you know why people can't understand this book? That's exactly right. You have to have the Holy Ghost in you to understand the Holy Ghost writings. So in all of these, everybody's got to get them a new one, is that they don't have the Spirit of God in them. You see, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Hey, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. So the only way that you're going to understand the Bible... Now, now, if you're a lost man, you can understand salvation. You can understand the history of Abraham and, and, and his locations. And you can read about Jacob and his locations. And you can understand the history of the Bible. But you can't understand the Bible. The Bible is a history book. It's his, H-I-S, story. His story. That's what history is. That's what true history is. Now, when he says all Scripture, I want you to notice there's a progression here of God's dealing with man through the Scriptures. Now, he says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So, no question where it comes from. And is profitable. Nothing else on this earth profitable unless you have the Scriptures. It's profitable. Now, what's the progression here? Number one, you've got to learn the truth first, right? Yep. Doctrine. That's the truth. The doctrine of the Word of God. And then, for what? Reproof. You know what that word means? Prove you wrong. That's what it means. It's either prove wrong or right. Now, when I'm reproved... Something that I believe or think I'm wrong about. If I'm reproved. So, you first learn the truth, then it reproves you. That's what it says. That's the order. Then what happens? For what? Tell me. Correction. And then it says, and for instruction in righteousness. Now, there's four parts there. There's doctrine, the truth. There's reproof. The doctrine proves you right or wrong. And then there's correction. And then there's instruction in righteousness. So the only, the only part, portion of that that you're responsible for is the correction. God gives you the truth. God reproves you for your error. Then He says, correction, that's our part. There's only one part in that Scripture that is ours. For correction, then if you correct it, you're a candidate for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, 
What? That's what he says. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, you know what the problem in most Christians? You know what the problem is? They never get past the correction. They get to the reproof. They come to the wall of correction. There's a door, which is correction, that if you walk through and you correct it, then you're going to be a candidate for instruction in righteousness. And in, in the church, if, if, you're, if, if the carnality rises up in you, and you're fussing with one another, and you're jealous over one another, you've never got past the correction. So therefore, you'll never be a candidate for instruction in righteousness unless you get past the reproof and go through the door of correction. Then you can become a candidate for instruction in righteousness. That's very plain. Very clear. God put that order there for us. So if you've got a knot against your brother, the Bible tells you how to solve that. Tells you how to go to them. With a witness, get it right. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Well, if you got an audience, somebody do it. And then if they won't heed you, then you got to take take a brother and 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 go to them. And uh, they still won't get it right. You've done your part. You've corrected it, but they haven't. So that's very important. Now, let's let's think for just a moment. Look what it says. All scripture. All scripture. Now, what's he talking about? When the book of Second Timothy was written, the entire canon of the Word of God was not complete. You see, in uh, the the church at Antioch, Syria, that was the gen- first. It was the Gentile church. The church the church started in 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 Jerusalem. Jerusalem was to be the ones that would. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, other, uttermost part, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Did you know the church of Jerusalem was the one that was supposed to carry this message around the world? But they never. They, they huddled there in Jerusalem with one another. They hugged one another. They stayed together in Jerusalem. They didn't take the word out. So God dispersed them through persecution. That's in your Bible. God dispersed them through persecution. Many of them ended up at Antioch, Syria. Paul the Apostle ended up at Antioch, Syria. First missionaries were sent out from Antioch, Syria in Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas went out preaching the gospel. And there started planting churches. Now, the Antioch Syria church wasn't a Jewish church. It was a Gentile church. And the Gentile church, God turned from the Jews to the Gentile. And they so much here, I'm sorry, but in Acts chapter 7, Stephen rejected the word of, uh, or, or Stephen preached the word of God. The Sanhedrin, the Jews, the Jewish leadership, the, the, they, they rejected the word of God. They stoned Stephen. And at that moment, God turned to the Gentile, save Paul, the apostle to the Gentile in Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 10, he led the first Gentile to the Lord, Cornelius of the Italian band, and the church became a Gentile church. Now, the Word of God was assembled at Antioch, Syria. Now, let's think of the word canon for just a minute. C-A-N-O-N. That isn't something you blow somebody up with. 
<laughs> it'll blow up a Jehovah's Witness, no doubt about that. And it'll blow up, it'll, it'll blow up quite a few uh, uh, people that's off, off base doctrinally. It'll blow them up, no doubt about that. But, you know, what the canon, C-A-N-O-N, let's just think about it for a moment. Okay, suppose I, I had a, uh, not knowing up here, but a, a one-foot ruler. Okay? Y'all familiar with the one-foot ruler? Everybody had to buy one at first. Well, now they furnish them for you. But uh, you had to have one at first to school when you was in grade school, right? A one-foot ruler. Now, how many inches in a one-foot ruler? Twelve. What if it had twelve inches and one one-thousandths of an inch? Is that a ruler? Is that a foot ruler? No, 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 no. It's not a cannon. See, a foot ruler is a cannon. A measuring stick. Okay? Let let me make this real clear now. A one-foot ruler is a measuring stick. It measures one foot. Okay? A yardstick is a cannon. It is three feet long. Now, if that one-foot ruler is nine inches, 999 thousandths, is it a one-foot ruler? Messes up your rule. Ruler, rule, rule. You got that? Now, if it's 10 inches or 12 inches, well, I should, I should have said 11 inches, 999 thousandths, I'm sorry. But if it's just one one thousandth of an inch short of one foot, it's not a ruler. It's not a rule. Got that? Yep. If it is 12 inches and one hundred of a thousandth of an inch over. Is it a rule? Nope. What if you started measuring and you measured a hundred feet and it was one one thousandth of an inch short and you measured one hundred times, you're going to come up with one hundred times one one thousandth of an inch short. So it's not a rule. Now, we talk about a canon. A canon of Scripture. C-A-N-O-N. That's the accepted rule of Scripture. You compare Scripture with that one foot rule, every inch agrees one with the other. All 12 inches agree perfectly. We got 66 books in this King James Bible that all agree perfectly. There's not a contradiction. There's not one error. So we call it a canon. It's the measuring stick. Now the books of the Apocrypha, which, uh, which the Catholic Church has in their Bible, which actually was in the first 1611 translation of the Bible that rolled off of the press, but they put it there for one purpose, for historical value, not scriptural value. That's right. You got that? Yeah. The Council of Synod, Roman Catholic Council, back in the mid-4th century, said that it was only there, the Catholic Church, who has it in theirs now, and says that it is part of the canon, that their synod back yonder 16, 1700 years ago said, no, 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 no. It's there for historical value. Got that? Mm. We learned some history from it. But you can't learn Scripture from it. 
Now, when it says all Scripture, I want you to notice something with me. Go, go with me over to the book of Romans, chapter 9. Now, when he's talking about Scripture, and I, I laid that groundwork to say this. The Scripture was assembled and put in charge of the church at Antioch. The assembling of the Scriptures... They began to assemble, of course, the Masoretic text, which is this, the 39 books of the Old Testament, uh, perfectly agree with the Jewish text today. Identical. 39 books, the Masoretic text, which the Jews use today, our 39 books of the Old Testament agree perfectly with the Jewish Masoretic text. Now, the 27 books of the New Testament that we have right here, that's not, that, that's not in the Jewish Masoretic text. The Jews do not accept that. But the church began to compile all of these writings at the church at Antioch, Syria. The scriptures were placed in charge of the church. Today, the printing of the scriptures is mainly in charge of Zondervan and all of these publishers who have no respect for the Word of God. All they have respect for is the Almighty Dollar. I went into a bookstore over in uh, western Tennessee. And I, I, I like to play with people. I, uh, I like to act real dumb. And uh, if I'm witnessing to a Jew for about the first hour, I just act as dumb as I can be about, about uh, Judaism and their religion and all. And I ask them questions about it just like I know nothing. And, and uh, it, they, they're always very nice. And once you give them that hour wondering about theirs, they'll give you an hour to hear yours. I've never had one to refuse me. And so... I asked this young man that worked in the bookstore there, pretty big bookstore. I said, uh, what, which, which version of the Bible do you recommend? He said, uh, I recommend the NIV. And I said, where are your King James? And there's way around behind the counter somewhere stuck over a little section there hidden, you know. And I said... Well, tell me, tell me something. Why do you recommend the NIV? And he got this big chart out. It had all these versions on it. And number one recommendation on that chart was the NIV. And uh, it, it had several, several reasons why it was better and all that. And said it was written on the eighth grade level. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and so... It said that the King James was written on 12th grade level and it's done been proved by the same people that do studies of, of school materials in our grade schools and elementary schools. And they study these materials and, and they grade them as to what grade level they're on. The grade level of the King James Bible is 4th and 5th grade. That's right. Now, I would be absolutely ashamed to admit that I couldn't understand the King James Bible. Wouldn't you? Huh? I mean, fourth and fifth grade level, and here I am, 71 years old, and I can't understand. <coughs> That's That would be embarrassing to me. And And... 
to say that a thee and a thou would mess you up in understanding the Scripture, Lord, man, I, I don't get it. But, but anyway, to make this story short, I, we went through that chart for a while, and I just I said, follow my finger. And he followed it down to the bottom right-hand corner, that big chart. <laughs> I said, who published that? He said, Zondervan publishing company I said follow my finger back up and which is the number one recommended Bible on this chart he said the NIV I said you know who published the NIV the Zondervan publishing company I said got you didn't I boy (laughs) and hey it's money game it's selling it's like the Ford dealership. If they don't sell new cars next year, they're going to go broke. Yep. But Zonifer's not because they publish pornography and everything else. So they're, they're all right. So anyway, now, Romans chapter 9. I want to show you something. When we said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. We got that? Now, look in verse 17 of Romans chapter 9. This is pretty profound. Now, pay close attention to this. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh. Huh? Who talked to Pharaoh? Moses. God said the Scripture spoke to Pharaoh. Moses was speaking. But God said it was him. Now all Scripture. The Scripture saith unto Pharaoh. Moses speaking, and God said, that Scripture? So when these (coughs) 40-some men right here spoke, it became Scripture. Now, when Paul said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, this Bible wasn't put together. My grandma, she died in 1967 at 98 years old, and she thought Paul Silas had this Bible in her hand. Amen? I'll believe Grandma, for I'll believe Zondervan. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and and so what? So Moses spoke to Pharaoh, and God said, Scripture spoke to Pharaoh. Why? Because God gave it to Moses, and Moses spoke, and therefore it's Scripture. Right mm-hmm. now, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, reproof. So the canon is what. A measuring stick. (coughs) Sixty-six books have been put together by the church, by God's people. And we've got a measuring stick right here of all doctrine, all truth, is this measuring stick that I have before me right here. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't it a blessing? Brother, when you stand up here and preach, Brother McMurtry, isn't it a blessing to know that you have the final authority? That you have the authority of God? You have the Scripture that you're preaching from right here and you don't have to apologize for it? Because God wrote it. God gave it. And God said, Preach! What? The Word. The Word. Now, let's look at something here. Uh, uh, let's go back to the book of Deuteronomy, if you will. And uh, 
want you to notice when God gave this book. Now, some of this stuff you you may, uh, and a lot of people may feel that it's coincidence. But I've seen so much proof between the pages, the, between the leather backs of this book that I have right here, that this is the Word of God. A lot of people say, well, that's coincidence. No, there's too many coincidences in this Word. Too many coincidences. Look with me in the book of Deuteronomy, if you will. I want to show you something. God gave a book, God gave His Word, and God sealed His Word. Now, if you put a seal on something, you generally seal it front and back, right? You seal it. Well, God sealed His book front, back, and middle. Right here. Watch this. He sealed it front, back, and middle. Let me get here. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, or 4, excuse me, and verse 1, he says, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you. Now, he says, For to do them, that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Now he said, the statutes that I give you, if you'll keep them, you'll possess the land. So what's the alternative? Don't keep them. And you won't possess the land. That's God's word. Now look in verse 2. Ye shall not add unto the word which I... uh, which I command, you shall not add unto the words which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. If you'll keep my statutes, you'll possess the land. If you add to it, or you take away, ye shall not. Do you know how long America's possessed, do you know how long the United States has possessed this land? Somewhere approaching 250 years. Why? We honored the statutes that God gave us. This land was founded upon the statutes that God gave us. Today, we're losing possession of our land because we are ignoring the statutes we are adding to, we are taking away from. Now, when we have a canon, when we have a, a ruler, a foot ruler, we don't add to it, we don't take away, or it's no longer a canon. So this Bible that we have right here, if we add to it or we take away, then you say, well, uh, you know, how do you know this book is the right book and this book? Hey, let me tell you something. I used to believe it by more faith than I believe it now. Really. When I started out, it was just simply faith. And when you come down to the finality of it, it's simply faith. But, I don't need as much faith to believe it as I used to because I've seen what's inside the pages between the covers of this book. The reality, it's there. I can touch it. I can read it. I can see it. 
hey, I'm not just living by faith on this, believing that this is the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. I'm living by what I see. Still faith. No matter what you learn about manuscripts, no matter what you learn about anything, if you don't have faith, you still don't believe. So it comes down to faith. But, look, Proverbs chapter 30. Now in the front, in the Pentateuch, the first five Bibles are known as the uh, first five books of the Bible are known as the Pentateuch. The writings of Moses, known as the Pentateuch. That's the beginning. Now, In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. Now, let me ask you a question. If every word of God is pure, if God contradicted Himself one time, is that purity? We're not selling ivory snow. 99 and 99% pure. The Word of God is 100% pure. Now, so, he says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. And thou, add thou not unto His words, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. In the Pentateuch, the beginning Add thou not. In the middle, in Proverbs, add thou not. Now let's run over to the book of Revelation. Very last chapter. So God placed a seal in this book in the beginning and in the middle. And look right here in the end. In Revelation 22. Let's uh, start reading verse 17. For the Spirit saith unto the bride, Say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. What shoots a Calvinist in the toes, don't it? For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. You say, well, that's talking about Revelation. Well, just why did he put it in the end? Beginning, middle, and end. God put a seal and said, don't touch it. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. It's my book. Now, let's, let's quickly, I, I'm going to have to hurry. Just got five minutes left. Um, let me, uh, well, well, well let's, let's talk about that purity just, just for a minute. Turn over to the book of John 3. The pure words. If uh, this book contradicts itself one time, it can't be pure. So therefore, if God can contradict Himself 
God's not pure. You can contradict yourself. I can contradict myself. And I probably have up here in this 40 minutes. I, I probably have. Yeah. But God is never. Now, John 3.16. Let's read it together. Okay? Let's, let's all read in unison. Ready? John 3, verse 16. Ready? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, what's the key word in there? What's the key word? Begotten. Go to John 1, quickly, turn over John 1, 12 and 13. Now, you take many of the new Bibles and they say there what we just read. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Well, let's read John 1, 12 and 13 together there. Okay? But as he, he came to His own, and His own received Him not. That verse 11. Huh? But, let's read As many as received Him... To them gave He power to become the sons of God. How many of you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Huh? Raise your hand. You, you received Christ? As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Are you sons of God? Well, if He's God's one and only Son, then isn't that a contradiction? Huh? If that's the only contradiction in the Bible, I wouldn't have one of them. I wouldn't carry a Bible that contradicted itself. I would not. So, what is the difference? Begotten. Jesus Christ was begotten in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit of God. Begotten. I was not begotten. I was adopted. Right. So, Jesus' only begotten Son, John 3.16, makes it real clear. And then He tells us over in uh, the, the book of, uh, of Ephesians that we are adopted into the family of God, not by, not, not by physical planting of a seed inside of a woman, but by the adoption of the Holy Ghost, the, birth of, the new birth of the Holy Ghost. Now, would you have a Bible that contradicted itself? No. Now, let's, let's just think for a moment of italicized words. and I'm just skipping over the hilltops because I've got two minutes. <laughs> italicized words are thrown in by the translators and they're not Scripture. Have you heard that? Mm, yeah. Yeah. They don't belong in the Scripture. Well, let's just see what Jesus said, Okay. I trust Jesus more than I do people and their critics. Hey, turn with me now to the book of Deuteronomy. With me. Chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I want you to get Deuteronomy chapter 8 in one hand. I want you to hold that right there. 
And I'm going to show you something real quickly, and I'm going to have to wrap it up because it's time to quit. Okay, got that? Now let's go over to Matthew 4. Okay, got both places? I'm going to read Deuteronomy 8. I'm going to read verse 3. Pay close attention now because I'm going to point something out here for you. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and led thee with manna which thou knewest not. Talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness 40 years feeding the manna. Neither set, neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth he live. Now look at that, but by every word. Is word there in italics? Now let's go over to Matthew 4. Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Same situation as Moses and the children of Israel. In verse 4 he says, But he answered and said, Satan is tempting him, but he answered and said, It is written. We just read it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Is word italicized? No. Jesus quoted the italicized word in Deuteronomy 8, 3. He quoted the italicized word. So the italics... Are they not supposed to be there? Jesus said they were. Amen. All right. Well, I'm sorry, but uh, I got a, I got hours and hours and hours left. But I'm gonna quit because the preacher told me to, and I believe in the word of the preacher. Thank you so much.